Search for Truth is your Bible study program with Brian Johnston, your Bible teacher. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to today's broadcast, which is broadcast number eight in our series about helping new Christians grow spiritually. Last week we looked with Brian at how to live a victorious Christian life. And uh, this week Brian focuses on how to stay actively involved in Christian service. So Brian, how can we do this? Okay, John, let's try to give an answer to that. The first people ever to become Christians didn't just sit around on their hands. Even skim reading the New Testament ought to convince us that life in a first century church of God was no armchair spectator sport where everyone sat around and watched just a few professional Christian leaders do all the work of mission and ministry. In three places mainly, the Apostle Paul describes how God has equipped every true Christian believer to play an active role. Those three places are Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. These list various gifts or functions, most of which are still applicable today. And Paul tells us that these are provided so that we can be equipped in serving the Lord in a hands-on way. Practically nothing will improve your service and enhance your fulfilment as dramatically as discovering, developing and discharging your own spiritual gift. This is a way to maximising your effectiveness while at the same time minimising your stress, which is obviously good. Our mentor, or other mature Christian whom we know well, should be able to guide and confirm to us the indications we ourselves may have already picked up as to what our gift or gifts may be. And those indications will likely include such things as the feedback we've received, whatever we've found an appropriate sense of joyful satisfaction in service, any focus which has habitually developed in our praying, and the way our thoughts tend to be led as we read the Bible. Now, often one of the first areas of service is sharing what's happened to us with our friends and colleagues. It's not uncommon to feel somewhat embarrassed in doing this, as we anticipate awkwardness or a dismissive reaction on their part. It's not that we're ashamed of our testimony, but we're very conscious of messing up as we try to explain what's happened to us. How can we overcome embarrassment and so electrify the fence on which our friends sit? Well, it's good to practice ahead of time how we can share our story effectively with others. Sometimes we need a bit of a nudge to get us out of our circle of comfort and into the zone of the unknown. Have we experienced spirit-directed promptings to do just that? If not, might it be because we don't begin each day with a prayer like, Use me to point someone to you today, Lord. I promise to cooperate in any way I can. If you want me to say a word for you today, I'll try to do that. Then we need to be ready with a simple strategy. First, the need to develop friendships. Then, over time, but not too much time, we try to discover their stories. And then... A third D, we pray about discerning the next steps. Could be an invitation, or offering a book or CD, or even just sharing our story. That means we need to have our own three-pronged story ready. I call it three-pronged because it should be in three parts. What our life was like before we encountered Jesus, how that encounter happened, and what our life is like for us now. To prepare your story, Try answering what we might well anticipate our friends' questions will be. Questions like, why is all this God stuff important to you? Try to prepare an answer to that question 
without long-windedness, without fuzziness, without incomprehensible jargon or any sense of superiority, and to do it in just 45 seconds or in less than 100 words. Don't worry if that takes you longer than you think to get ready. Beyond that, it's good to research some answers to the usual questions which always come up. Questions like, what about those who've never heard of Christ? How could a God of love send anyone to hell? Isn't it all psychological anyway? You'll find there are only about eight of these very typical questions. Alongside the answers, have a small stock of tried and tested illustrations ready to use. Once, having introduced someone to the Christian faith, this will inevitably raise for them the same question it's already raised for you, which is, is there a particular way to serve and worship God today? one which is endorsed by the Lord in the Bible. Well, what did Paul say? Paul said, according to the way which they call a sect, I serve God. These words are found in Acts 24 and verse 14, and quite obviously they're talking about the original biblical way of Christian service and worship. If we look in either the Old or New Testament of our Bible, we find that the public service or public worship of God, is closely linked with the subject of God's house on earth. For example, the letter to the Hebrews has a lot to teach us about such worship, and it links us back to the time of Moses, when it says, in chapter 3 and verse 5, Moses was faithful in all his house, that's in all God's house, as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. The best place to start would seem to be by clarifying what exactly is meant by God's house. Nowadays, this expression means different things to different people. For example, any place for public worship, usually Christian, may be referred to as a house of God. So it's important to be clear on the actual Bible meaning. The writer of this Bible letter tells the people for whom this letter was originally intended that they are God's house. In fact, linking himself with the readership, he says whose house we are. So it's no longer a physical house or building. Whose house we are, he says. And then he adds the condition, if we hold fast. This condition is something he says a lot more about later in his letter. This talk of the danger of falling away, for example, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 6. Now, let me say this very carefully. If God's house comprises everyone who's known salvation through faith in Christ, then this falling away must mean falling away from salvation. For if to have a place in God's house means receiving Christ's salvation, and only that, then falling away from God's house can only mean losing that same salvation. But the Bible does not teach that once saved, we can be lost again. Therefore, God's house has simply got to be distinguished from the vast company of all those who've ever known salvation by God's grace through personal faith in Jesus Christ, and is also to be distinguished even from all currently living believers. The Bible deals with the security of our salvation in so many ways as to put beyond the shadow of a doubt the fact that we can never, never be lost again after having believed in Christ for salvation, the salvation which is from the penalty which our sins deserve. Which shows us 
that the defining issue for a place in God's house is not the possession of salvation. For although Hebrews tells us that we can fall away from God's house, yet we can never be dispossessed of our salvation. There's no need whatsoever for us to hold fast to our salvation, for the Lord Jesus himself holds us fast and assures us that no one can snatch us away from him. But regarding what's called God's house, we evidently do need to hold fast, just as they did, to whom the author of Hebrews wrote some 2,000 years ago. All those who've ever at some point come to saving faith in Christ include myriads of believers who are now dead. But God's house at any time does not even include all true living believers, for there's that condition applied if we hold fast. The Hebrews letter was written, as its name implies, to early Jewish Christians, the very first Christians being, of course, Jews. They left behind the ceremonial law of Moses to embrace Jesus as the Messiah and so to follow the teaching of his apostles. And following the apostles' teaching brought them into the New Testament churches of God. The book of the Acts of the Apostles tells us how this came about. These churches spread outwards from Jerusalem mainly as a result of the various missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. There isn't the slightest evidence that some practiced baptism while others didn't. No indication whatsoever that some churches had elders, whereas others had a different form of government. They all serve God according to the one way which was then regarded as a sect by mainstream Judaism. They were a persecuted community then. It's clear from Paul's words earlier that there was a stigma associated with belonging to the way. And some of them, by the time that the letter to the Hebrews came to be written, some of them had come to feel life would be a whole lot easier outside of the Christian way. They felt life would be simpler again if, as in the old days, they were just going along with the law of Moses like the majority of folks around them, at least in Israel. To people just like that, to those who were wavering on the brink of leaving the community of first century churches of God, the writer of the Hebrews letter makes his appeal by the Spirit of God. Don't go back. Don't fall away. To quit their association with the way would not mean the loss of their salvation, but, and this is the main point of the entire letter, they would miss out on everything that was special in serving God together in the biblical community of churches of God. It would be a falling away in terms of their service and from the privileges and responsibilities which attended it. In short, they would lose their place in God's house. They wouldn't lose their salvation, remember, but they'd lose their place in God's house. That clearly defined, visible community of believers, as described in the pages of the New Testament, was where God lived by his Spirit, in a way that answered exactly to earlier eras, where the place where God lived on earth, his house, was known as Moses' tabernacle or Solomon's temple. That was always the one place at any one time for the corporate worship of God's people. In the Old Testament, it had a physical expression, but now we worship in spirit and truth, which surely minimises physical aspects while appreciating the spiritual experience this is. Finally, before I leave this topic on becoming active and staying active in serving the Lord, it's important that we should be equipped to spot false teachings and other unhelpful ideas, for sooner rather than later we're likely to run up against them as we start actively sharing our faith with others. 
If you come across someone who seems to be saying something rather different, try asking them, what's your ultimate authority? Who do you say Jesus is? How are you telling people to get right with God? By now, you know the clear, obvious answers to those questions. If there's any hesitation or equivocation about the answers they give, you'll know straight away that something is far from right. Now may the Lord help you to stay active and strong for him, avoiding what's wrong and enthusiastically following what's right and what's biblical. I hope you've been helped by today's talk. If you have any comments or questions, please write in and Brian will be glad to help. If you'd like to receive one of the books for this current series, ask for the title Helping New Christians Grow and you can order by email or by post and here are our contact details so that you can make a note. It's Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, Sierra November 4, 8 Delta Yankee, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into ebooks and they're available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle hyphen ebooks. And if you type Search for Truth series into the search box, they'll all pop up and there you'll find them. So thanks once again for being with us today. We must go now, but hope you'll be able to join us again next week. So until then, and our new series, very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our studio technician David, our singers and me, John. Goodbye and may God richly bless you. Teach me thy